0: Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, the podcast that takes movies that appear to be straight and demonstrates why that is untrue. I'm Haley,
1: And I'm Emma.
0: And I feel like we're cheating a little bit this week because I don't know anybody who thinks this movie isn't gay.
1: That is so interesting. I'm I'm very happy that we're starting from that place. Do you want to do the grand reveal of what we are indeed discussing this week?
0: Yes, this week we were talking about a movie I was deeply (laughs) obsessed with as a nine year old, <laughs> DreamWorks, The Road to El Dorado. It's a 2000 film, uh, songs by Elton John and Tim Rice with the voice acting talents of Kenneth Branagh, Kevin Klein, and Rosie Perez. And it is our first animated movie.
1: Yes, although I suppose arguably not our first children's film because we started with Newsies, but it's, it's our first like children's film.
0: I don't know that this is more of a children's film than Newsies.
1: I don't know. I can't, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe that's just a bias that I have about animated things, I suppose. But I I feel like I, or maybe, maybe I just am associating the era of like 90s animated film when it came out as like much more marketed to children. But I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that'll play a part in this discussion.
0: I think you're taking it the opposite of the way I'm taking it, which is not to Mm -hmm. say that this is not for children. It's that Newsies is also for children.
1: Oh yeah, Newsies is definitely also for children. I feel like it's just the thing of, of seeing with your eyes real humans that makes it I don't know, maybe not, maybe that. I don't know. This one has songs, that has songs, there are men farewells.
0: Yeah. Um it's not by Disney, though obviously as with all animated right. films, it gets lumped in to the Disney category, but it is DreamWorks. It was their follow-up to The Prince of Egypt, one oh, of my yes. favorite films, um, <laughs> while we're on the subject of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently it was based on a rendered Kipling story, which does explain why it is lightly racist, which we'll get into.
1: Yes, yes. We're definitely happy to acknowledge that right out the gate.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, but we'll <laughs> clarify in the plot summary, mm. which is coming shortly. Um, it's inspired by the Crosby and Hope buddy films. You know, that series, they had a series of movies in like the fifties, the road to places. And it was just like them right. traveling. You know, in like one of these like sort of franchises where it's like there wasn't like continuity; it was just like they went on different adventures. In different it's road
1: ways. movies, yeah. Between yeah. friends on a road movie as a genre, yeah. Yes,
0: and they were all called the road to somewhere. Mm, so it's fascinating. A very direct reference to that in its title. I mean, and so I there's this long-standing rumor that I've heard for years that is that that states that the original drafts of this movie had this two main characters. I realize we're covering a lot of ground before we actually summarize the plot, I'm sorry, but that the two main characters were in Mm -hmm. fact written as being a couple in early drafts, which I don't know why I believed this, because when you, like, stop and think about it for one second, you think that this was being written in the late 90s at, like, the latest. Of course not. That was never, and it's not true. I couldn't find any evidence that it's true, but I think it says something about the sort of, like, tone of the movie that in a way, I mean, in much of the way that, like, we have talked about up till now, there's a sense of, like, something has been clumsily edited <laughs> out that is actually mm-hmm. something else.
1: Right. Or, like, at the very least, the somehow alchemically, a certain energy has been absorbed into the air around this piece of art Mm -hmm. and everybody culturally has absorbed it as such, whether or not it was intentional. So it's just like, why is this so gay? And why does everyone who absorbed it as a child, like, why did it, why, why do we all, think that that's true like why does it you know it's a very shared hallucination yeah. you know what I mean yeah exactly
0: yeah. I mean and yeah so let's just dive really quickly into a plot summary I will do it I'll spare you since you've only Please. seen it once um and I that would
1: be like a hysterical pop quiz my plot summary of this movie would be like two guys a barrels a ship there's a rock jaguar it's crazy
0: I mean yeah. there you go that's it that's the plot summary
1: you go do it right
0: okay um, so it is the oh gosh, 1590s, a year when all your classic children's movies start, um, something like that. I've actually forgotten the date, um, but uh, basically, it's Spain. Our two main characters are Miguel and Tulio, con artists, voiced by Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh, as previously discussed. They are a you know petty crime duo. We meet them cheating at cards in an alleyway, and in this card game, they win a map, and it is a map to El Dorado, and uh, Miguel, who's like the sort of more imaginative one, is like, oh my god, this is amazing, and Tulio's the practical one. He's like, this is incredibly stupid. Um, <laughs> so through a series of wacky chases, they end up accidentally stowing away on the warship of Cortez, who is traveling to, you know, conquer the Americas, as, again, classic children's movie setting. Um, and they, end up, you know, they escape from this ship in the night and end up adrift on the sea, come to shore and find, oh my goodness, we are at the location of this map. They find their way to the city of El Dorado um, over a montage narrated by the musical stylings of Sir Elton John and find El Dorado. It exists, the hidden city. Um, And they arrive and through a series of sort of lies and coincidences are taken to be the embodiment on earth of two gods. And they of course being con artists decide we're going to take advantage of this to get all the gold that we possibly can and then go back to Spain and buy Spain as they say. Um, And so they're instantly caught by a girl called Chell who is the most, um, one of the more alarmingly sexually drawn animated characters of all time. and she kind of weasels her way in. She says, like, I'll help you. I'll make sure you don't get caught. And in exchange, I want to go to Spain with you. And they are wary but accept because, of course, they have no idea what they're doing. So basically, they kind of are bumbling along and they find themselves in the midst of a sort of like power struggle between the chief of the tribe, who is just sort of like an easy going guy and is like, the gods are here. This is fun. And the high priest, who is like a religious zealot who like is devoted to human sacrifice and really wants that to become a thing again. And he is sort of growing increasingly suspicious of them as he sort of engineers all these excuses to like try and get them to like smite people and display their powers. But eventually he realizes these guys are fakes, um, kind of creates a like alchemical stone jaguar, tries to kill them, they uh, defeat him, But in the process of like all of this happening their sort of personal paths have begun diverging because Tulio is sort of falling in love with slash just sleeping with Chell and Miguel is realizing that he loves El Dorado and wants to stay here and they sort of fall out over this and it seems like they're going to part ways Tulio and Chell are going to leave for Spain Miguel is going to remain in El Dorado where we like get the hint that the chief like knows that they're lying and like this is all going to be fine somehow and once again, we get a montage backed by Elton John of their like breakup scene as <laughs> they like sadly prepare to part ways. But then um, the high priest is not dead. he was sort of like cast out of El Dorado and he runs into Cortez and he's gonna lead Cortez back into you know into the city. And so they come with this scheme whereby instead of sort of sailing back out of the city on his boat, uh, Tulio is going to use the boat to like destroy the entrance to El Dorado so that Cortez and Co. can't get in. but at the cost of losing all of the gold that he's amassed, which is very hard for him because he loves money. And at the last minute, (laughs) it seems like it's not gonna work and Miguel sacrifices his opportunity to stay in El Dorado to help the boat sort of dash away the pillars and Miguel, Tulio, Chell and the very anthropomorphic horse uh, that they have as a pet, all sort of find themselves washed up on shore and get ready to start a new adventure. The well done, end. thank you. It was actually beautifully done. harder to summarize than I thought because it's one of those ones where there's a lot of sort of incidents, but very little yes. in terms of like bigger yeah. plot arcs.
1: Yes yeah i yeah i'm fascinated that you could hold on to although of course this comes from having seen it a bajillion times mm-hmm. and it imprinting itself on your psyche but i'm fascinated that you could remember the ins and outs of and then the block the entrance to the city sacrifice the gold the pillar thing sail the ship off the thing like i just don't like i mean there's, yeah, there's
0: a little more detail than we strictly need perhaps
1: <laughs> but uh um, no 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 i think that that is what the people need The people. Need. um i mean It's how it happens. So yeah, um, I mean, I feel like we are getting a good band name out of every summary so far, and this week's is Alchemical Stone Jaguar.
0: Yeah, um, that happens. It's magic. I think it's a metal band. It's a metal metal band.
1: band. (laughs) Alchemical Stone Jaguar. Right.
0: And I feel like the sort of, like, light racism is pretty evident from the plot summary in that it's, like, you know, two white guys show up and are worshipped as gods. And I feel like they sort of try and undermine it a little bit
1: Mm-hmm. by having
0: it, like, become pretty quickly clear to everybody that they're fakes and they not. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's, they're still, there's still, a lot of stuff about human yeah, sacrifice. it's definitely, like, it's, it's.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely problematic in that sense, but in a way that is absolutely, uh, you know, like, a hallmark of its period of, like, it's so much just, like, you look back at it and you're like, yeah, this is a time when studios were still perfectly comfortable making a, like telling stories about like ancient cultures that like you know were not in any way of course like probably researched but like from a very Eurocentric perspective and like all the you know all those things of like you know that there was no one like you know on the ground repping the actual history of those peoples when like this you know film was being written and it definitely like smacks of that the human sacrifice thing is gnarly not only in that sense but also in the sense that I kept waiting because I couldn't remember the plot For that guy's, like, the sort of priest character, for his, like, secret agenda to be kind of revealed, and then he sort of doesn't have one. It's that thing of, like, he's just devoted to reviving the practice of human sacrifice in his, like, country. Yeah, he just
0: has very devout religious beliefs that center around human sacrifice.
1: Yeah, he's loving it. He just wants to kick people off cliffs into like like a whirlpool and in the name of the gods and everybody else is mad grossed out by this. Yeah, So I mean, I
0: feel like they got like a quarter of a point of credit for having Latinx voice actors for all of the main El Dorado characters, which is like, frankly, more than we manage a lot of the time still. But I mean, the the whole kind of premise is this very, yeah, like white uh, gaze, almost like Orientalist kind of fantasy of this lost idyllic, Mesoamerican, like, civilization. So, you know. Right,
1: in the kind of, like, we crash land into this paradise kind of thing, and then, like, try to steal their gold. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: it's, like, it's, like, almost being, like, a metaphor for colonialism, and obviously, like, Cortez is the villain, so that's kind of cool, um, I guess. There's, like, shades of Pocahontas, especially in Cortez's design. He is, like, his silhouette is Governor Ratcliffe.
1: Oh, I mean, he's just a, he's the square, he's a barrel, a square barrel on legs. It's the exact same. Yeah. Super similar design, super similar design. Yeah. So,
0: you know, problematic. Um, and that's just, it is what it is, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. bad times. Animation is not, um, a vanguard of, uh, progressivism in that respect. And this movie is not an example of that, unfortunately. True.
1: But here, here, here we have our, our central, our heroes, Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh. Yes.
0: (laughs) The gods. And I mean, you
1: know how much I, you know how much I love a con movie.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's...
1: Which technically is what it is. It is. No,
0: I mean, it is definitely like a series, the sort of series of events they undergo is like, there's a, they play... They end up playing some sport that I think is like based, I think it's maybe I read once based on like some actual like minor Aztec. It's
1: definitely real. It's definitely real. Yeah. I, I used to know the name of this game, but the, the ridiculously hard one where you can't use your hands and you have to like hit a ball through a tiny hole. Yeah,
0: that one. Basketball meets soccer, but horrible. But
1: without hands. But without, well, harder.
0: soccer doesn't have hands. Yeah. That was that part. Well, right. Um, but so they, like, and yeah, they they get challenged to, they have to play a game, and of course they don't know how to play, and they're getting their asses kicked, and then they're, like, armadillo friends, because it's, you know, 90s slash early 2000s animated films, everybody has an animal sidekick. They, like, cheat using this armadillo as the ball, and it, like, goes through the hoop for them. So it's, like...
1: Oh, I just realized that that's a very Alice in Wonderland thing of the little, of the, of the mouse goes through the wickets in the same uh... way. Of, like, you're playing a game, or the croquet, rather. Like, you're playing, yeah, you're playing a game with a ball that is a creature that is sentient and helps you win. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's a good con. It's that trick,
1: that old trick. Yeah, it's a good one.
0: I'm surprised they never used that one back in Spain.
1: (laughs) True. Just befriend a freaking animal.
0: Yeah. But,
1: I mean, there's... Aladdin style.
0: Right, right. I mean, and we have, we have some other con films on our list, um, because Mm. there is such intimacy in... Uh, doing a con together, in lying to everybody but not to each other.
1: Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I feel like just, that's it's a good it's a good place to start with the two of them. The thing that surprised me the most, or like one of my favorite things about their dynamic, is the sort of pattern that they get into that feels very rehearsed. Every time they're in a tight rehearsed, but um, delivered as if for the first time. When they're in a tight spot and then they start fighting each other as a distraction to get away with it and they do it they do it in the kind of opening sequence when they get caught using loaded dice and then they do it again against the sort of evil religious priest guy much later it sort of comes back at a critical moment in the actual plot and I love that as a maneuver the fact that they have this like because the thing is when it comes back at the end of the movie they're not they're mad at each other still they're like not even in a good place but in order to like save their lives mutually they know exactly how to do it and without conferring about it they just like slip into this thing of like how dare you! And then they start fighting, and then make it about fighting each other, and then distract the person, and then punch him in the face together. Your dice are loaded. What? You gave me loaded dice.
0: He gave me loaded dice. Guard, arrest him. You dare to im. You, my honor he was the one who was cheating arrest him yeah it's funny because yeah when it comes back it seems at first like miguel is not going to play along because he's the much more injured because he's overheard tulio saying to Chell like i want to go back to spain with you and miguel actually fuck miguel just with you and he is understandably wounded by this um so it seems like he's not playing along like they're actually having an argument and then they you know join forces. Um, Yeah, and it's this, yeah, it's a great little rehearsed, like, seeming to turn on each other.
1: It's a good bit. It's a really good bit. And it just speaks to the, like, the completely, um, the, the, how old their partnership is supposed to feel
0: Mm -hmm.
1: about, like, how long have they been doing this? Right,
0: well, they do a lot of, like, remember that time in Barcelona? Like, the classic kind of, we have a lot of backstory that we're not going to go into vibe. Right. Um, I mean, in in that respect, it reminds me a lot. I was, I will concede that I was hesitant to do this movie, not because it's not gay. Um, (laughs) but I thought we should save it because it's so similar to Sherlock Holmes in that it is sort of apparently heterosexual life partners who have years and years and years of unspoken and undepicted backstory. Um, and the sort of joke is like, they're married, they're just married. And in that respect it I mean, I think it is. It's that same dynamic. It's like these two mm-hmm. are married, a woman comes in and sort of it's if you will, it's the Mary Morstan principle, or shall we call it the 12 right. principle?
1: Yeah, I was I mean, I like the anti-beard because that's what we coined it in the Sherlock Holmes episode. And I feel like it's the same principle at work of like mm-hmm. if a beard is there to disguise the fact that it's gay by convincing everyone that you're heterosexual, the anti-beard is to make such a show of like, the veracity of your heterosexuality that just makes the original relationship seem gayer.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I think that's, like, a beard obviously, like, makes things gay by contrast as well, but it's more like the fact that that relationship has ended because of a woman means that it was gay. Because if it wasn't gay, a woman couldn't disrupt it.
1: Yes, I think that that, that's such a succinct way of putting it. Yes, that's the anti-beard, is the fact that, like, if a chick shows up and you're really, really hurt emotionally it's gay.
0: Yeah. It's gay. Yeah. And I think that that yeah. is really what, because it's not just the bickering. And again, like this is in some ways where it's like Sherlock Holmes. Again, it's not just the bickering. It's yeah. not just the banter. It's not just the, like, there's definitely a scene where they're standing, gazing at a landscape and Tulio like puts his arm around Miguel's waist. And, like they're like tiny in the foreground. And the background is huge, but like it definitely happens. Um, uh-huh. Watch the movie. Um, <laughs> this, is a, this is an aural <laughs> medium. I don't know. Why we keep doing this for ourselves. But it's that, yeah, it's the, it's the nature of the way that the relationship falls apart in this sort of like fourth act kind of 11th hour right. lull, which is right. that it becomes explicitly a choice mm-hmm. for Tulio between Shell and Miguel and everyone involved has a sense that the two relationships cannot quite coexist. Though in the end
1: they do. Right. So in the end they do, yeah, I'm sure we'll get to that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love to, I, we should probably like beat through what happens, like what we know of their intimacy before we get to Chell. Yes. But I will say that in where I'm coming from as a kind of point of interest is because in Sherlock Holmes, as we spent so much time talking about, the movie gives Watson Mary Morstan, obviously, and gives Sherlock Irene. Mm-hmm. And... Two varying degrees of convincing us that either of them are heterosexual, whatever, but the women exist, and they exist to, like, make that whatever. And in this story, which is a a similar structure, only one of them gets a girl, Mm -hmm. and Miguel sort of gets something different, and it kind of surprised me, because, again, I forgot what happened in the film. So when it sort of, when their paths diverged, and Tulio and Chell start messing around, and Miguel starts, like, wandering around the city in this sort of wide-eyed way. We'll get to that song and, like, whatever is going on there. But the absence of uh, of of the Irene Adler sort of figure of, like, the lack of a woman in a mirrored way for Miguel, I find really interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's good. I think you're right that Miguel is the Sherlock and yes. Tulio is the Watson. Kind I mean, it's not...
1: It's not as, it's not cut and dry, but in the sense that one of them is sort of like a more emotional thinker, and one of them is like very practical, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because I suppose it's a, only in that sense is it a very Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes because he's the emotional thinker, <laughs> but um, in any other depiction of Holmes he's probably less of an emotional thinker and more of a thinker
0: but it's much more in the sort of like comedy duo vibe of those two roles where the practical one is the yes. straight man. So everything embarrassing actually happens to Tulio and the dreamy one is sort of in touch with something deeper and actually is the more intuitive and often more intelligent in key mm. way or maybe wiser one. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it's interesting though, because in both Sherlock Holmes and Road to El Dorado, the, um, the, <laughs> Sort of the uptight one gets the girl. It's interesting. Because, mm, yeah. And that's, it's a little bit unusual, I feel like. In the, in Road to El Dorado especially, is that you would think describing the sort of types that it would be a more conventional romantic structure for the dreamier one to, to become entangled with the woman.
0: Yeah. And he is the one who that's at first, their first conversation is they're both like, oh my God, she's so hot. <laughs> she is. Um, Look, at outrageously hot cartoon! It's just wild. I mean, wow.
1: Um, and it really Julio's, is. She, she's throwing them hips around. Yeah,
0: yeah. And Tulio's like, no, 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 no. Terrible, terrible plan. Do not, do not, do not. And Miguel's like, okay, fine. Right. And it seems like it's setting up that, like, that's where the problem's going to be, is that Miguel's so reckless. Right. Of course, he can't, he won't be able to resist kind of following his heart.
1: Right, but it goes the other way. Yeah, it turns
0: out his heart leads him in a very different direction yeah. to the city itself.
1: Mm. Question, yes. mark? It question mark? Question um, mark. Should we kind of, could we lean into that now or should we kind of double back to what happens to them before they arrive? Let's double
0: back and talk a little bit about, so yeah, like what we come to understand of their relationship before this. Okay. Um... So yeah, like we were saying, they kind of are very instantly like jump into an established dynamic. And this is another part, they're they're playing dice and like Tulio, Miguel's got his lute, he's like accompanying their con with like his own background music and Tulio's doing the dice and like Miguel sort of cozies up to a bunch of women who are like, oh, a man with a lute and Tulio tries to get a woman to blow on his dice for luck and she's just like, no, and like turns away. No,
1: and then he blows on them himself. Yeah, (laughs) which is like,
0: I feel like pretty much encapsulates them and again, why it's also interesting that Tulio is the one who gets the girl because I think we're meant to understand yes. that is not their usual pattern.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, which maybe explains why it is so disruptive for them. Actually, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Um, but anyway, so yeah, they have they have their bits basically. They have these they have their set yeah. pattern that they do and the way that yeah. they do things and. Um, you know, a lot of the intimacy in the early scenes is just like Holmes and Watson, the intimacy of familiarity.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in a, I'm I'm stuck on what you said a little bit ago about, is there something, this might not be exactly what you said, but what I absorbed <laughs> was, is there something, is there something like, sort of essentially queer about a con relationship, mm. about the fact that like, And I know, yeah, I feel like we're both interested in this idea that, like, maybe the idea of living outside of society and, like, you know, like, not playing by everybody else's rules is a a sort of queer-coded experience in a certain kind of way. Well, I mean, this is like
0: the animated film thing, right? I mean, and this is where, I mean, this is a bit of a confession because I think a lot of people have a big problem with this. I love the queer-coded villains, I love that trope. Yeah. I have no problem with I it at too. all. Because I think fundamentally, I especially in Disney movies, what the villain uh, is doing is disrupting ooh. heterosexual society. They're trying to yeah, stop I, the marriage.
1: Yeah, that's usually exactly what they're doing. Now I'm, like, really interested in going down that little side road because it's, it's obviously Scar in The Lion King. but um, Ursula because,
0: in The Mermaid. Sure. Um, Jafar, I think, in Aladdin. To a certain extent.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's
0: like everyone. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I realized three. Pe- I've just listed three people and said it's everyone, which is.
1: No, I mean that's what we do. I'm, I'm. I'm sorry. Just to speak into to speak into your brain, what's happening in my brain? I'm over here trying to decide if Captain Hook is. Oh getting. my God! Yes. Um, Captain Hook and yeah, Smee are married gay. couple. I mean, it's an abusive relationship, but yes. <laughs> I mean, I
0: didn't say it wasn't, but like, yeah. I mean, oh, Captain, Captain Hook and Snee are exactly the same as Gaston and LeFou. It is a yeah. relationship where the unspoken joke is, at least for the sort of subservient, if you will, air quotes, partner. Ooh, interesting. I mean, which is why it was like, mm. sorry, this is such a tangent now, but why this no, it's good. fucking, like, we're going to have a gay LeFou thing in the new movie. was like, he's, he was, that was already the joke.
1: He's gay already. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, Captain Hook is camp as fuck. Look at those sleeves. Look at that hair. Um, Look at that hair. Charles II. Of course he's gay. Oh my, oh my God, that's so, oh my God. We are figuring out shit about our childhoods right now. I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm so. I'm that gif of
0: Winona Ryder at like the Oscars where they have, like she's like gazing like wild eyed into the middle distance while the math symbols appear.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what's happening to me right now is, is just the fact that, um, one of my earliest memories is forcing a whole bunch of children who were at my house for like dinner because like my parents were having You're
0: also a child in this, right?
1: Oh, I'm also a child. Yes. yes. Yeah. As a child. One of my, well, I said one of my earliest memories as a, yeah, was as a child forcing a bunch of children to do Peter Pan with me. <laughs> and it was because, and it was because I had just seen, not the animated film, but the incredibly old, buck wild, um, Mary Martin, Cyril Richard, like, thing, and to be, like, a five- or six-year-old child, or, like, maybe seven, but, like, youthful, and to see that film, and to most identify as a small girl with Cyril Richard, which is, that's what happened to me, that's what happened to me, and then I made a bunch of kids do Peter Pan with me, and then I, um, and then, I, and then I played Captain Hook because everyone was like, should a, should a dad do that? And I was like, no, it's me. So,
0: B-D-A, you know. Big dad energy.
1: Oof, rough.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: anyway. I'm
0: going to cut that. Um, anyway.
1: Don't cut my it. My
0: point being that I love that trope because I feel like it gets at something more authentic about the idea that a queer narrative cannot fit within a heterosexual <laughs> particularly a heterosexual love narrative. There's always something about a fundamentally queer narrative that has to exist outside of those structures, just like dramaturgically it can function in the same way, and of course, when that is the goal, the person whose existence says these structures can't exist is going to be the antagonist, because that's what their entire presence and being and existence means, and, like, I have no issues with that as a trope, Mm. personally. I think it's fun, and I think it is a more authentic, like, I think, you know, like, Ursula Mm. designed after, like, a literal drag queen is, like, more convincing queer representation than, like, Mm -hmm. you know, completely conventional heterosexual love story where you just like swap the gender of one of the leads.
1: 1000%. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it like has an actual relationship to the position of queer people in society and like feelings about that rather than just the assumption that you can take a heterosexual narrative and make it gay without changing anything about the undercurrents of like feeling. Yeah,
0: not even a feeling of just like of storytelling and the power dynamic yeah. and the sort of, like, shape of that story. Absolutely. And so to attempt yeah. to drag this back on track, I think that the way that this connects is this sense of, like, when you're... I mean, yeah, it's the sense of, like, if being a villain in, like, animated movies, Disney movies, but it bleeds into animated movies in general, is sort of yeah. almost inherently like a queer-coded position. Obviously, like Miguel and Tulio are the heroes, but they're, like, I mean... I use this word. It's a strong word. They're the antiheroes. They're not good people. Yeah. They don't live, they live no. very much at the sort of margins of society in, mm-hmm. um, like, every way. We never get a sense that they've ever been successful at their
1: jobs. As the, as, like, thieves and convent? No, it's
0: not like they've made a bunch of money. They have no money.
1: Yeah, no, they have no money. They're sort of just, like, what they're good at, which is, of course, like, the most fun. It's, it reminded me so much of the opening of Aladdin, except for there's two of them, you know? And I mean, I feel like it has a really strong relationship there. And just in terms of the thing of like, you meet the hero or the anti-hero or heroes in this case, and in the middle of a con that is like charming, but is like going to go wrong, does go wrong. And then what's fun is getting away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you get the sense that what they're good at is getting away of just like sidling away from responsibility and just like, hitting you know hitting the road
0: yeah yeah that's why their bit is not a bit to con people it's a bit to get out of con- getting caught conning people yes. they don't have they yeah, don't exactly. have any pattern for like actually perpetuating the con they're actually like when they get to no, el dorado, they're bad at quite it. bad
1: they're very bad at it i think that's some, one of the great jokes of the movie is that by the time they arrive at el dorado also just i'll say because i know we'll get to it but like I will just say that it's hilarious to me as a thing modeled on a road movie, how little road there is. Like, they get where they're going really quickly. Mm -hmm. And also, it's like, it's a kid's movie, so it's fairly short. But, like, they get where they're going really quickly, and then there's not a struggle to find the place at all. It's just, like, they show up, you know, it's like for a movie that begins with a map. You think it's gonna be sort of like, we gotta find the place, but they get to the place immediately and then are immediately mistaken for, you know, gods and, like, get put into the position. And then, like, the... For con artists, the improv is terrible. Which, of course, is like because Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh are really funny and their improv is great. Yes, and that's... The character's improv is bad.
0: It's uh, an interesting thing I found when I was researching this is that very unusually for an animated movie, they recorded their sessions together in the same studio at the same time so that they could actually be improvising with each other.
1: I feel like you can hear Mm -hmm. it.
0: So, I I feel like we just said like 77 different things. Um, We did. But yeah i mean that is sort of the intimacy in that case is you know they have this established relationship they live this life together that is not a conventional life it's not a life that is even particularly successful but it's theirs you know um Mm -hmm. and then they go on a boat they escape from the boat they're on a smaller boat with a horse um the classic (laughs) classic hero's journey
1: the classic, now it's is it Life of Pi suddenly? Yeah, the classic, now you're in two men and a rowboat with a huge with horse. It's a huge it's just,
0: horse and no food. It's
1: hilarious
0: um, and no food. And I think that's where one of the exchanges we loved particularly takes place. Where we get the classic, they're on this boat, it's like a montage, they're clearly on this boat for ages. Um, and it's, you know, the sea is becalmed. It's like the fifth kind of shot of the montage and they're you know, baking in the heat, and they clearly are like, this is the end. I mean, they say, you know, like, this is the end, and
1: we're gonna die, and we're gonna spot. die, and
0: it's like, oh, like, do you have any regrets? And Tulio says, you know, like, I just, I never had enough money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're gonna have to spend a long time talking about how Tulio has turned on my money I mean, to she, such a degree. Yeah,
0: Tulio, yeah. I mean, should we just do that now? We'll get to it. Okay, okay.
1: We'll get to it when he starts, like, freaking out over all of the gold. Which is next. So, yeah. So he's
0: like, oh, I never had enough money. And Miguel, the dreamy one, is like, I just, I wanted to have adventures. I wish I'd had more adventures. Um, And then, I feel like I should just pause and play the clip. Any regrets besides dying? Yeah. I never... Had enough gold. My regret besides dying is our greatest adventure is over before it began and no one will even remember us. Well, if it's any consolation, Miguel. You
1: made my life an adventure. <laughs> and if it's any consolation, Tulio.
0: You made my (laughs) life rich. You make my life
1: rich. (laughs) It's just so they're also leaning on each other. They're like back to back in the boat. Back to back. They're back to back in the boat and their arms are sort of like trailing in the water in this very listless, like dangly way. Yeah. And they're yeah, it's like a very, very intimate, weird.
0: Well, I mean, it raises the question because like, okay, so I've said, you know, this, I worried this was too much like Sherlock Holmes. And I think the question in Sherlock Holmes was like, is it just a joke? Is it sort of as A.O. Scott's review kind of implied? It's just like, it's funny to kind of wink at like, are they gay? But as I think you kind of said when we were talking about this yesterday, because it's a children's movie, it can't be the same joke. It would be weird right. to be making that joke. I mean, like, of course, this is, like, a thing that yeah. Disney and Pixar – and, I mean, I honestly think DreamWorks to a lesser extent that those other movies do, whereas, like, you have the layer that the kids will get and the layer that the parents, you know, who are also watching the film will get. So, like, right. maybe that's the joke. But mm-hmm. it's weird if that's the case. It feels like it has to be doing something different.
1: I feel like it is. I think that's really the – The layers of emotional intimacy and how, basically, I feel like what we're always talking about in this specific podcast, in these specific things, is because we're not talking about things that are explicitly queer, Mm -hmm. we're only talking about things about, like, what are the layers of vibe baked into this vibe casserole, and I feel like um, in this one, it's just interesting because... I think we initially were like, well, how sort of sexually loaded can it be? It's a children's movie, but then you meet Chell and her and Tulio literally fuck in the film. It's
0: like a shot where they, she, they, it's, they're out of frame on the ground. And then you see her yeah. lift her leg. Like she has been straddling him. Yeah. You can tell from the way that she, and then he buttons up his pants.
1: Yeah, no, they are having sex in a children's film. So the thing about that, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, like, fine, live your lives, animated characters. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I feel like the thing is, it's not – sexuality is in the movie. It's part of the world. Mm-hmm. The characters are grown adult men who have traveled the world together, and, you know, there are, like, as you said, like, various jokes about things that have happened to them in the past, other cities, and, like, women, and sort of maybe Miguel's relationship with women in a sort of flirty and less important way, but I don't know, yeah, sexuality is in the film, and then, I don't know, the other thing that I was going to say was, like, it's just the thing that that you've sort of brought us back to every time that we've talked about structurally, structurally, what are we talking about in terms of, like, emotional stakes, and, like, emotional cost, mm. you know what I mean, and, like, the thing is, if a, because, as you said at the beginning, if a girl shows up, and then your relationship, these two men, your allegedly platonic relationship crumbles, then it was gay. And if the relationship with the woman is explicitly sexual, and it's explicitly the sexuality that makes your relationship crumble... Right then it was gay in a sexy way.
0: (laughs) I think that's an amazing point. I think that's, I think you've put your finger on something really important because the three of them do, like they form a working trio partnership in a way that Mm -hmm. like, for example, like, I mean, Mary Holmes and Watson obviously never do. Mary, I mean, Irene Holmes and Watson do a little bit by the end, but like very quickly, they're both sort of like suspicious of Chell and then in the very next scene, she kind of saves their asses. And Mm -hmm. clearly it's like, okay, we're all in with you you know, part of the team now, and there's all these, like, they, like, kind of walk off as a trio, and during the whole, like, ball scene, she's the one who comes up with the armadillo idea, and, like.
1: And she also speaks a very con man's lingo of, like, she asks to be cut in in a percentage way. Mm -hmm. Like, she, like, she, you know, like, they haggle, and I feel like that's a thing where it's, like, oh, we're on very equal footing here then, because she's, like, she's, like, I'll take 10% and a trip to Spain.
0: You know what's another really interesting parallel that you just made me realize with Sherlock Holmes again is, Mm. as in Sherlock Holmes where the two men are opposites who complement each other and the women are the matches like Chell is Tulio they're the same
1: yeah totally
0: and that's obviously Mm. why he's attracted to her, because she is like him and thinks like him and they're both kind of obsessed with money and they're both practical to a fault totally only she's smarter than him and better at things than him because it's you know a 90s movie and she's a girl and that's feminism then but actually I think I like (laughs) Chell I think she's a really fun character
1: Yeah, I do too. And obviously, like, you know, part of why they need her... I mean, yeah, she's completely like... She's with it. She speaks the same lingo as them. She's like... She's a con artist in her own way. We never find out why she, like, the backstory of why she was running away with that gold that she clearly stole from a temple at the beginning slash why she wants to leave for Spain. Yeah, it's really interesting. what the story is. How they meet,
0: yeah, they meet her first. They've, like, found this big Mm -hmm. rock at the end of the map, and they think there's nothing there. And then Chell comes sort of running out of the mist holding something, and Mm -hmm. she's being pursued, and then... they all kind of get captured and brought back and like they're like oh she's a thief and you see she's like stolen this Mm -hmm. gold thing that she goes and returns to the temple and then yeah when she's asking them to come with there's this sort of like vague. they're like she's like you've got your reasons and I've got mine she kind of stares into
1: the. and and she never says never explained I
0: mean this movie's clearly setting up a franchise that never happened
1: I think oh interesting yeah it might have been it
0: ends in this really open ended way which is like sometimes just how these kinds of movies end but I think Mm. had their eye on a sequel that it didn't do well enough to merit. And
1: interesting. Learned. Maybe so, yeah, maybe so. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But I think that's, I think that's the thing, is like, if it was really geared for children in a, in a really kind of like children-specific way, like if sex wasn't in the movie, then maybe you could get away with being like, well, I guess they're just telling a story about like two friends, and then one of them develops an intense like working friendship with this like woman and this sort of gender sexuality kind of dynamic doesn't play into it, but because they make it so sexual, it's like something, the betrayal is sexual, so. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, and then it, it goes back to this realization that you made me have a couple minutes ago, which is that like, mm. I think the thing we're meant to assume is that, I mean, and it's in keeping again with their types and the way that the sort of who's the punchline of what kind of joke, like I think we're meant to assume mm. Tulio never has any luck with women and Miguel constantly mm. has luck with women. And so for Tulio to get a girl is a shift in their implied past relationship. Like as I- think
1: that's probably right. encapsulated
0: mm, in that yeah. little bit with the dice at the beginning. And then like, as they they think they're being led to their kind of deaths. Miguel's like, listen, um, I'm sorry about that girl in Barcelona. And Tulio's like, what? <laughs> it's uh, like part of the running joke that like Tulio is the straight man and thus always the butt of the joke. And he's always the one who ends up in degrading situations. And so, of course, you can yeah. infer
1: that includes getting continually rejected by women. Right. And then here comes the hottest woman anyone's ever seen and is equally obsessed with money. And then he's like, I can't resist it. And, and she also, like, really explicitly seduces him. Yeah, she's like, in, she, you know.
0: she initiates, she wants him
1: yeah and she like makes it happen like he sort of resists for a minute and then she's like you know she 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 gets him to do it
0: with an amazing line where he's like i'm not sure if i trust you she says i'm not really asking you to trust me am i i'm not really sure i trust you Mm, i'm not really asking you to trust
1: me am i
0: it's so sexual
1: Thus imprinting upon the minds of a generation of children that you don't have to trust everyone you want to fuck. Is that such Thanks. a bad moral, though? <laughs> no, listen, it's a no, very sex positive all. film. Apparently, it um, but it is interesting it is. in
0: terms of thinking about like why, why you know why <laughs> to ask what, what I had a playwright teacher you'd the Passover question: Why is this night different from all other nights? Why is this encounter with a woman different from other encounters with women? that they are implied mm-hmm. to have had in the past. And I think yeah, it's, I
1: think you're right that it's Tulio, it's that that it's, that's why. Yeah, it's that
0: it's Tulio. And then, I mean, and this is, I think, a segue into your thoughts about Miguel's sort of stand-in <laughs> romantic relationship. Yes. Because it's happening kind of from both sides. Mm-hmm. It's not just um, kind of Tulio being pulled away by Chell, but Miguel being pulled away by his own interests.
1: Yeah. Yeah, his interests are, are much more complicated to explicate because they are not in the form of the human body. Basically, like, you know, actually, maybe it's something that you said a little bit ago sort of sparked a feeling in this. Like, the fact that they have not been successful con men. Mm. Um, is actually really interesting as part of this conversation, I think, because I feel like what Miguel gets, because he is the dreamier one and the sort of like, I don't know, they're sort of equally front men in their kind of thing, because they're just very much a double act in that kind of patter sense of like, it's just a little, it's just a little improv all the time. Um, but I feel like what Miguel gets instead of a romantic subplot, I suppose, is like, It's a dual thing. I think at first it's just that recognition, like, success. Mm. I don't think that they've... I think he's, like, a little drunk on the fact that it seems to be working. And suddenly life feels, like, very easy. And it's kind of like, oh this is a beautiful place full of all of these like kind of kind people who like, and it's like made of gold. So, you know, they've got a lot of money and it's just very, very chill and they keep wanting to like feed us and like hang out. And it's like, you know, you like, that's the con man's dream. Speaking from my soul as a con man, <laughs> like the, 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 you know, the the dream is that you rock up at a con that you weren't even trying to pull. People are like, hey why don't you stay forever and have a really nice life where you don't have to work anymore and it's sort of like huh yeah and I feel like that's kind of layer one for Miguel but then I sort of feel like the film does something even deeper than that when he gets this sort of like weird love song when he's wandering the streets of the city alone and he starts interacting with like children and, like, people who are just, like, regular people who are just, like, wandering around doing their thing, and he starts to just, like, you feel like he's sort of noticing the beauty of the city and, like, the nature and, like, the world, and part of me was, like, is this a weird, like, falling in love with this, like, peaceful tribe of Native peoples and their, like, chill way of life thing? Like, is that part of what we're doing here is that he's, like, wait, actually, this is, like, very cool. Like, look at these sweet, beautiful people. Like, part of it is that, I feel like, I don't know. And it's, and that might have kind of problematic resonances. But like, uh, you know, in terms of like this white guy, also he's, he's depicted, he looks like Kenneth Branagh, you know, he's like, has a ginger beard and like is blonde. And so he's like wandering around this city of all of these gorgeous native people being like, this seems like nice. I want to hang out here. So I don't know, part of it's that, but it's, I don't know, some sort of weird, like, finding yourself peacefulness journey i don't know like maybe this would be the right kind of place to land in a in a life that has never landed anywhere if that makes sense that
0: really does make sense that's so interesting thinking about the sort of like what does it mean to have like a con man's soul because we've sort of talked about how like we've said tulio's the practical one and miguel is the dreamy one but on some level like Tulio's the one who loves the thrill of the chase and is always finding reasons that, no, we can't stop. No, we have to try the next thing. No, we have to run. No, we have to go. And Miguel's the one who's seeking success. Like, there's something in, like, there's a real irony that I hadn't thought of in Miguel, the one who loves adventure, being the one who is seduced by comfort and, um, you know, the prospect of having a life in a place. And it's Tulio who is, the one who actually in reality can't stop moving and can never settle. And he says what he wants is money, but actually, I mean, it's, maybe it's, this is the thing like Tulio says what he wants is money, but actually what he wants is to keep conning people because he loves it. And he thrives on the anxiety and Miguel says that he wants adventure, (laughs) but actually what he wants is comfort and connection and love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's sort of what it is, is that like, yeah, something about the whole well, I mean, the Chell thing is a betrayal of their dynamic and their relationships for obvious reasons, but the Miguel thing is also sort of framed as a betrayal. Like, Tulio can't believe he wants to stay. And the thing of, like, how could you, how could you stay somewhere is, like, for that to also be a betrayal of your relationship and your, like, lifestyle, that says a lot, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's two things, because obviously there's the practical level where he's, like, you know, they're sort of basking, and Tulio's like, oh, it's gonna be so amazing to go back to Spain and live like kings. And Miguel's like, well, king's a bit of a step down from God. And like, Tulio just has this look on his face, it's like, mate, you remember we're not gods though, right? Like, it is a level for him (laughs) of like, you're, I mean, he says it's like, you're falling for your own con. This isn't- Yeah, well, and
1: then Miguel says, at least I'm not dating much." Which, I mean, you know they want that word to be fucking.
0: Like, dating lands with a thud, (laughs) that is not the word.
1: No, no. Well, yeah, and it's so interesting because I feel like one of the only significant scenes, because Tulio gets a significant scene or two with Chell apart from Miguel, you know, Mm -hmm. but the Miguel version of that, I feel like, is when he, like, because they're having the people, the people are building them a boat, Because they're like, we're going to steal all this motherfucking gold and sail back to Spain. And so they tell the people to build them a boat. And then they have that great improv where they're like, yeah, we're going to like ascend back to the spirit world. First, we're going to go like horizontally. But like then when we're out of sight, like it'll go vertical Um, after that whole thing. And then the chief is like not having any. He's like, sure. So then there's that scene between Miguel and the chief guy in on the boat that they are building. And it's like a weirdly... I don't know, it's like almost a sort of fatherly (laughs) moment where at the end of the conversation where Miguel is doing really bad, unconvincing improv about why the boat isn't ready, because like the boat is ready. Um, At the end of that, he's like being very kind of flighty emotionally and like trying to leave the situation. And I think the chief guy says like, you know, you can just like stay if you want. Clearly, intuiting that that is like that he doesn't want to go. Yeah, which is why he's stalling and like doesn't want to leave. And there's like a little pause where it's like Kenneth Branagh doing some quite good voice acting, even though he's crazy. It's just like very, it's it's sort of a tender moment, you know, of he he sort of pauses and like doesn't totally respond, and it feels like it's really struck a nerve of some kind. Well, it's interesting
0: because yeah, it's, it feels like it struck a nerve, and then he's like, no, 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 I have to. He says something like, I have to stay with Tulio, or like Tulio and I have things to do together
1: i think he says i think that's one of the million of more moments where he says no i can't tulio and i are partners yes no i can't i have to go back with tulio we're we're partners big plans in the other world huh yep big plans
0: tulio and i are partners and the chief's like oh you've got like big plans in the spirit world, and he's like, yeah, big plans, big plans, and then he goes back to their temple, and that's right. when he overhears Tulio saying to Chell, like, forget Miguel, I want you. And so it is this parallel, like, Miguel was willing to give up the thing he wanted for mm. Tulio, only to discover that Tulio is apparently not willing to give up the thing right. he wants in exchange, in, or in return. Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right, and that's also the scene where the chief kind of makes it clear that, like, he knows they're not gods. And so, like, the question isn't really, like, oh my god, Miguel's lost his mind and thinks he can actually live as a god. It's, there's something else yeah. that he's finding here and, like, yeah, that, it's not, that's not the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not that he would, like, continue the con forever on his own. It's that there would be an understanding that's already developing Mm -hmm. between him and the people that live here about, like, no, you could, like, you as yourself could actually stay here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's a really interesting question when we're talking about this idea of, like, the opposites of, like, what— Because it's, like, in the straight man, dreamy guy combo, like, Miguel exists in a state of of constant frustration— Yes. You know, he's, he's the one who's always having to, like, rein in antics and, you know, gets bitten by leeches and has bad things happen mm. to him. And so to spend time with Chell is to spend time with, like, an intellectual equal for once. Oof, yeah. And similarly for Miguel, like, to spend time with, like, a kind and accepting people who don't treat him like he's a doofus, even though he is. Because like, they are <laughs> sort of, like, finding, like, niches that they can't yeah. get from one another. Um, I feel like we've gotten, I've gotten, I <laughs> like I'm
1: stretching this thin. Um. No, no, we're good, we're good.
0: But, so you've mentioned there's this weird song, and, like, <laughs> we get the scene where basically, like, Chell conspires to get Miguel out so that she can seduce Tulio, and we sort of have their right. first seduction scene, which is, again, wildly sexual.
1: And in- insane. then
0: we cut to this montage sort of sequence of um, Miguel wandering through the city to the backing of one of several, like it's not, its relationship to music is really weird. There are yeah, several songs, only one of which is sung by the characters. The rest of them are sort of, I noticed in the credits, Elton John is credited as the narrator. And that really is how the songs function mm-hmm. as kind of backing to montages with the lyrics foregrounded in a way where they're not like literal descriptions of what's going on, but like clearly you're meant to listen to them. It reminds me of Tarzan a bit, actually. John also did where it's these sort of like thematically resonant background music sequences. Mm. And so as he's wandering the city, um, as Miguel's Wandering the City, the sort of tone of the lyrics is, you know, something along the lines of, like, I've seen everything, but, like, you help me see the world anew, and the chorus is, like, I love you. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I guess it, the U is the city of El Dorado?
1: The people of El it's, Dorado? It's a weird one. Yeah. It's a weird one, that. Yeah, because it did not have to be a love song. It didn't have to be framed as a love song.
0: Yeah, and it's so it's just really it's weird. Yeah, it's just this weird parallelism of like they both are having love scenes. Yeah. With other people slash abstract entities.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. It's like very oddly displaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm. And then So then later, you know, they have these understandings and they get a second kind of song whose chorus is friends never say goodbye. And it's the sort of mournful, you know, they're like packing up and like being petty and bitchy at each other as they like, as Tulio prepares to leave and Miguel like prepares to stay. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, as we've discussed in several other episodes very much, that 11th hour, like the lovers are estranged. Yeah. Bad music plays.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there, yeah, it structurally absolutely has that, that feeling of like that 11th hour misunderstanding or like, we're almost at the point where like, yeah, if somebody departs and also like, you know, if he leaves, they'll never see each other again. Like this, oh. you know, I mean, it's 15, whatever. Like if you stay in Mesoamerica and you don't get on this ship.
0: Well, and also, well, I guess the plan isn't to destroy the door yet, but you know, mm-hmm. yes, that eventually right. part of it.
1: But Right, the whole kind of, I don't know, yeah, like the, the, it's a high stakes potential departure. Yeah. And it's totally framed in a very, like, romantic type of way of, of.
0: Again, yeah, yeah, with this, like, floating I love you song that we have had earlier in the movie that, like, isn't attached to a you. Yes. Um, and so then when we were watching it the other day, For the first time, I sort of like, I just like left it on and was listening to the lyrics of the ending credits for the first time, which are once again, a love song about, and the tone one is the tone of the lyrics is like, we've been in a relationship for a really long time, but like, it's okay. Like we're going to get through it.
1: Deserted square i turn and i see you. as if our love were new someday we can start again soon. right and are like rekindling it yeah it's so it's so i mean in that hilarious overblown late 90s kind of way of like remember when all movies ended with like that exact song in the credits mm-hmm. it it is such an explicitly, yeah, romantic film for, I mean, romantic song for a film that, like, absolutely is about two men and their relationship. Like, the you know, it's just like... Yeah, I mean,
0: because we never get... Whatever Chell and Tulio have is not romance.
1: No, and it's also not centered... It's only function, this is why it's gay, it's, it's only function is to provide the one half of the kind of double betrayal narrative mm-hmm. of kind of like, you're being pulled in one way and I'm being pulled in another way and something has to be doing the pulling. Yeah. But the central relationship is absolutely them. And we never, like like we were saying, we never find anything about about her kind of inner life or kind of inner workings beyond the fact that she's trying to get out and she's going to do it, you know, and that's like all we know.
0: Yeah. And it ends, I mean, even once they kind of all come together at the end and are clearly going to like set off into the world as like a con trio, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this shot. I mean, it's like a joke, but it's like they all sort of get on the back of the horse and the horse like rears up to take off and it takes off and the two boys fall off the back and Chell just sort of takes off into the distance alone on the horse. And they are the two. Like we don't get the sense at the end of like Tulio and Chell are a couple and Miguel is there too. It's like the boys are still the couple and Chell is something separate.
1: This is, the, this is the Mary Morstan principle that, we have, that we've invented of the Sherlock Holmes of like, don't worry, the emotional peril of the movie was that the boys might not be able to stay together, and the resolution is that they will.
0: Yeah, and that Shell's kind of place in the circle is not as mm-hmm. Tulio's kind of other half of Tulio's double act. She is, in fact, mm-hmm. separate, and they are still yes. the core pair. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's super, it's super similar in that way. But yeah, that's so interesting. I was, I was just gonna ask you, but then you said it. I was, cause I don't remember it well enough. I was gonna be like, who falls off the horse? Because I remember that someone falls off the horse, but they both fall off the horse. fascinating. And then that's Miguel
0: shoves like Tulio to the ground. So he's not even the one who pursues child most directly. It's like yeah. Miguel runs off and Tulio's like lying on his back for a minute. And then he like scrambles up with his like gangly right. legs. Cause he's the tall gangly one, of course. Right. And sort of scrabbles after
1: yeah 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 that's it's the stat like emotional status quo restored when the boys are back together and
0: then we play a love song about
1: and then we play a love song two
0: people rekindling their old and fracturing relationship
1: and off we go
0: i mean as i said when that's we were gay. watching i mean isn't it is 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 having elton john as the narrator of your life in itself just gay like does that just mean you're gay if that's the voice that yeah. sort of narrates what you do
1: I mean yes <laughs> basically does that play a part yes it's just well, it's tender love songs sung by men it's just like sung by well sung by a man a very gay man yeah i mean it's just like in a film ostensibly about platonic partnership where the girl barely figures as an emotional presence rather than just like kind of a logistical presence and a sexual
0: presence <laughs>
1: And a sexual presence, you did not need to write love songs about, about it for this film. Like, nobody needed to write love songs for this film, and yet there are, like, three.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, two and a half, if we're going to be generous, but there's three.
1: Two and a half. But, yeah. And then, so it's just, like, why it's being framed in a particular way. And, yeah, I'm still, yeah, I'm struck by the kind of, I mean, the... to
0: get, the- like, really, I've just, this is because I was, like, counting up songs in my head. And I think you can make the argument if we're really gonna you know, dive deep, which is that not what we're here to do? Every single song in the movie is about Miguel and Tulio's relationship. That is a function of the music. Even yeah. the one song that yeah. is sung by characters is obviously sung by the two of them.
1: It's sung by them, yeah. And
0: mm-hmm. you know, one of them narrates their journey through the woods and forests to kind of get to El Dorado and the refrain is like the trail we blaze. It's about the two of them. Right, and then right. there's a song they sing together. And the two apparent exceptions are the I Love You song as Miguel's wandering through El Dorado and then the Alone. weird floating yeah. song over mm-hmm. the credits, which like, I mean, credit songs, what do they mean? Do they count? But there is something in this idea that like the, what music represents is the kind yeah. of emotional status of Miguel and Tulio and their lives. Yeah. It never That's means that the songs never mean anything else.
1: No. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, there's basically in terms of like, it's interesting because the plot as such is very simple once they get to El Dorado, you know, and the function of Chell's relationship is like, as we said, like, is not developed for her own sake or like its own sake in a separate way. And I don't know. Yeah. There's just, it's the film barely pretends to be about anything else. It's just like, here's this we're doing this, you know, like here's this dynamic.
0: I mean, it does we were kind of trying to argue Sherlock Holmes does, which is that the yeah. Is fully beside the point.
1: Right. An existing yeah, like exactly.
0: backdrop con on which yeah for their relationship mm-hmm. problems to be worked out.
1: Exactly, exactly. On um, in the sense that like, and I mean the the clever thing that that the con does in Road to El Dorado is like create um create uh a compelling enough circumstance of peril about what will happen if they're found out. And that's why, like, the specific machinations of the evil religious zealot guy barely matter in and of themselves, because, like, the broad concern is, like, someone is going to find out, and that'll be bad for us. Which is
0: demonstrated by the fact that they kind of beat his, like, kind of jaguar monster comes in, like, kind of three-quarters through. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah, sort of that's prompts right. this like 11th hour breakup. And then mm-hmm. in the end, we're sort of anticlimactically deprived of like a battle with Cortez because that is just utterly beside the point. They turn up, they find the sort of right. door to El Dorado has collapsed and there's nothing there. And then like mm-hmm. our heroes sort of like peek out and like wave at the priest as he's like dragged away.
1: Yeah. So resolution, yeah. there's
0: no, I feel like a lot of movies like I think, in the movie, I think about this a lot, since we're talking about anime movies, is like, um, Hercules, where it's like, we sort of yeah. have this big battle with the Titans that we kind of, it has this very obligatory feel, because it's like, well, we don't care about the
1: Titans. We don't care about this, These no. These don't
0: actually matter, but they felt like there had to be a battle scene, so we're gonna have to do the battle. Whereas in Road to El Dorado, they wisely say, the battle's beside the point. We could have a battle just to get to animate one, but why? That's not the story. And so they don't.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah, it's interesting because I, w- I was thinking about Hercules too a bunch, and I guess the battle in Hercules is the function of it is to get Hades somewhere else so that they can revive Meg's ghost. You know, because he. Like, well, yeah. I, I was thinking about. Yeah. I guess it's. I guess it's related in that I was trying to think about how it relates to the main plot, but it's interesting because the thing with Cortez in El Dorado is that his only function to our actual story is that he ends up being how we get rid of the evil guy.
0: When he gets them on the road to, on the road to El Dorado. Because they, you know, he gets them, he gets them to see accidentally as well. Right. He's a a plot catalyst. He just sort of, he's a chess, he moves chess pieces for them. And it's the totally faceless looming threat.
1: Right. But it is really
0: interesting that like, they have a, they resist the sort of tropes of the structure of Mm -hmm. animated movies and action movies. Yeah. Enough to not give in to the temptation to make there be a pointless fight scene and say, no, yeah no, there's just going to be the con the trick they right. play to mm-hmm. i mean it's not a con because it's you know with a boat but it's like it's a trick that's what they do
1: yeah. yeah yeah, 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 there's sort of several stages of trick in the end game there because yeah there's the one where they pretend to fight each other and then like you know get the get the guy, and then there's like yeah the broader the broader trick, the machinations of which i don 't even totally understand about plugging about about, um, disguising the city, I guess, like, putting the, well,
0: it's like, there's these, it's like, you go through this entrance. waterfall, and then there's, like, these right. pillars that are holding up the sort of, like, tunnel, and they're gonna knock right. over the pillar so that the tunnel collapses, so that it's impossible to get in or out of the city anymore.
1: Right, 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 and so then Cortez and his army show up, and they're, like, there's nothing here, because the entrance is blocked, yeah, that's like what happens, rocks right?
0: rocks have Got collapsed it. over it. Right. The physics okay, of yeah. it are vague
1: oh yeah but you know it's fine um yeah yeah that is interesting that it is just this is the relationship this is what threatens it this is how it grows this is how it gets pulled apart and then it comes back together yeah I'm so relieved that you that you reminded me that it's both of them that fall off the horse at the end because I couldn't remember I really thought it was just one of them and then I was like well it's got to be Miguel then and then that's a sort of third wheelie image but if it isn't that then yeah. And then that's really significant.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like they're back to yeah. where they were. They're the underdogs again in their own sort right. of lives.
1: Yeah, that's great. They're always yeah, going to be the
0: two guys falling off a horse.
1: Which is the, that's the con man position of, yeah, for sure. And there mm-hmm. is
0: something in the sort of like, I mean, it's, you know, if we're going, if this is where we're going with this conversation, like it's returning to the idea, like you can't enter into the mainstream. You can't. You're too gay to get to live in El Dorado and hang out. Like, you know, it's like you're, you are sort of always at the moment yeah. and you always have to be the butt of the joke and that's where you just sort of have to live.
1: But it is also, it, it's that, yeah, that's great because it's that trade-off of like, you don't get a society, you get this relationship. You get each other. You get each other, yeah.
0: I mean, that is it. That is it.
1: And that is it.
0: You don't get a society. You get your You just get each and other. Friend.
1: Yes. And yeah, and and that's gay.
0: It is gay. I mean, that's gay, kids. That's all that there is to it. And also a horse.
1: Yeah, yeah, and a horse. You get a horse, and um, not an armadillo, right? The armadillo. The armadillo follow. comes as well. Yes. Okay. The armadillo is my favorite unnamed animal friend. In I'm gonna say. A, a lot of animated movies that I, I forgot about the existence of the armadillo and really freaked out about it every time it appeared because it's cute as fuck and now I want one.
0: Yeah, it's a really good armadillo. I want that one. It's an arm yeah, it's an really athlete good. as well. It wins them that game.
1: It absolutely does.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bummer actually that we didn't get a we didn't get a sequel. And also it is impossible to me like having had this whole conversation I feel like I still land on like a get why people there's this like rumor that this is It was Mm -hmm. written with them as a couple, which like setting aside the fact that like, Mm -hmm. again, that would never have happened and still would not happen. Like we still do not have a mainstream like DreamWorks or Disney film with an openly gay couple at the center. No. Lots of stuff on TV, nothing in movies. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not, the structure itself is about, you need Shell for the structure. She's not, I mean, much like, you know. A.O. Scott said that Mary Morstan and Irene are just beards. It's like, no, they're doing something. They're more integral to the story than that. The disruption of the relationship is the story. And if you didn't have mm-hmm. Chell from the beginning, you wouldn't have had a plot.
1: My God, that's so good. The disruption of the of the relationship is the story. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally right.
0: And that is gay. That's gay, y'all. Thank you for joining us on this trip down... Memory slash animation lane. Um, if you are, oh,
1: you were gonna say on this road too, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "Are we doing it?"
0: <laughs> on this road to homosexuality. Um, yes. If you you can find us on Instagram.
1: Yes, you can at this is gay podcast.
0: And we will see you very soon. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.